0: welcome to connect and collaborate i'm alex hopkins your on-air producer and we are ready for episode two of redefining rural which is brought to you by csu global uh so i am excited to have in studio with me michelle murphy kirk banghart Danielle laplatte and their guest elaine blansky she is the director for the center of rural school health and education or crush better known as Um, so we are going to get this conversation started very excited to do so. Well thanks
1: Elaine for being here. We're so excited to have you join in this conversation today and we know from the work that we've been doing in the field for the past few years that mental health is really a priority for all of our districts across the state and especially rural. So if you'd like to get us started by talking about the center, the work that you've been doing, and then we'll talk about some of the statistics and how we know that this is a priority for our districts.
2: Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, So I am at the University of Denver in the Mortgage College of Education. And um, it's very exciting because a year ago we set up a brand new center called the Center for Rural School Health and Education. And our vision is healthy, happy children living in vibrant rural communities. And part of the reason why I wanted to be situated in the Mortgage College of Education is because Increasingly, really since like 2014, the various rural school districts that we partner with were telling us mental health, mental health, mental health in terms of their biggest concern. And the beauty of being situated at DU is that um, even just within Morgridge, we have um, counseling psychology, we've got school psychology, we've got child and family, and then um, across the street, we've got the Graduate School of Social Work, and then down the campus a little bit, we've got the Graduate School of Professional Psychology. So we have a lot of um, resources to help meet some of the mental health needs that the rural school districts are telling us about.
3: Great. We're so excited to talk about some of the incredible work that you're doing in the field. But first, can you help us set up for the listeners, what what does the data pick, right? We all mm-hmm. collect data, report data. What does the data picture look like uh, statewide and for rural schools in particular around mental health?
2: Sure. So um, the state of Colorado has sadly consistently been in the top 10 states in the country in terms of having high suicide rates. Um, and... When you look at a map of Colorado, what you see is that those rates are much higher in rural communities than they are in the suburban and urban districts. And you know, there's the state does a good job trying to collect data to, to describe that further. And so like among young people, among, among middle and high school kids, for example, we know that about 30% of students are telling us that they have felt sad or hopeless in the past 14 days girls uh, report that at a much higher level than boys. And in fact, and that pattern exists even in suicide attempts that girls are attempting at much higher rates than boys, but boys are completing um, at higher rates than girls. And then one, one other thing that I think is really important to point out is that um, this issue is even more pronounced among the LGBTQ committee, uh, community. Uh, the rates are unbelievably high. 45% of kids reporting having considered suicide. Um, So there's, there's a real issue.
3: Thank you. Talk a little bit too. I think Daniil and Kirk and I, one of the things that sort of tugs at our heartstrings or, uh, in the urgency in this is that we know that students around the state have increasing mental health needs and that educators around the state have difficulty meeting those needs right. even understanding what it's going to take to get the students and the families because we can't leave the families out of this conversation the supports that they need but in rural communities we have a almost impossible, you know we talk about the teacher shortage and we talked about that last uh during our last podcast um, a shortage of mental health workers, behavioral health workers. Talk about who those people are, mm-hmm. what those positions may be, and what um, what that looks like for rural. And Daniil and Kirk chime in in terms of specific circumstances you all have seen.
1: Well, oh Yeah, and I think along with that, some of the other risk factors that we see mm-hmm. in our communities might be important to touch on. So some mm-hmm. of the additional challenges that are an additional layer of challenges for our rural communities um, might, be important, might be important to talk about to kind of set the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and leading up to our educator shortage or special service provider shortage and how that all fits together because i think in this in the broad conversation of all of this uh, so much of this overlaps so one thing leads to another we all fall under this umbrella there's lots of different moving pieces and i think that's important for people to understand as well
2: so i'll do the workforce shortage and then maybe we can talk about Those um, risk factors. I
3: have to say that Elaine said, just ask us one, just ask me one (laughs) One question question at at a time. time." (laughs) And we just jammed her with two. So we were just testing you, but way to reel us back in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: flexible. Um, So another striking map to look at is um, a map of the workforce, the mental health workforce shortage areas in the state of Colorado. So if you can imagine the square, basically, of Colorado. Every single county is a mental health shortage area with the exception of the Denver metro area, like going up to Boulder and Larimer County. But other than that, every single county in our state um, I- does not have adequate numbers of mental health professionals.
3: Can you talk about who those professionals yeah. are?
2: Yeah. I was going to. <laughs> oh, <goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the school setting, there's probably at least three people, but maybe even because of the unique circumstances of a rural community, we could even maybe talk about the possibility of a fourth type of person. So I- in schools, there's the school psychologist. Um, that person has the ability to do testing, psychological testing, as well as provide um, you know, what I would call primary prevention services all the way up to tertiary. And by that I mean um, the school psychologist in their res- job roles, They ideally are operating at all levels of the multi-tiered systems of support, so like um, school-wide initiatives um, to promote mental health, as well as the second tier of helping children who are already um, struggling with mental health issues, and then the third tier um, really working very directly with children um, already having pretty severe challenges. So that's the school psychologist, yeah. Uh, well,
1: and I think it's important to mention, too, that the school psychologists are being shared among districts because they're right. a BOCES employees. So it's not like a school in a rural setting is going to have their own psychologist, but that psychologist is going to be working in multiple settings across many of the districts within that BOCES region.
3: That's right, some days driving, what, upwards of 20, 40 miles a day to get even
2: to
4: one more. more than oh that. Oh, yeah, right? even,
2: like, even like 170 miles. Yeah.
4: yeah. I, and I think we see in our, in our work is that th- those folks, unfortunately, 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 may only, depending on where they are in the state, may only get back to a school or to be able to work with a particular child once a week or once every other week. Right. And so though they have a lot of abilities and can really help kids, one of the issues that we really face is actually getting them time to work with kids and be there due to distance and travel and then separation from their sites that they work with.
2: Yeah, that's such an important point because Mm -hmm. there's not that consistent... A frequency the relationship right. for the actual right. to, to help yeah. the kiddo yeah well
1: and the relationship um, among the the staff as well mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the the pain points that exists is that um, when you're not in a building consistently then you can't have those strong relationships mm-hmm. with a lot of that staff which might create some isolation for that person Mm-hmm.
2: right so then there's also the school counselor and um, my understanding, and you should correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the school counselor is embedded in the school district. So like, as opposed to the sort of that traveling doctor, you know, that you just described, the traveling school psychologist, the school counselor is fairly embedded, I would say. Is that what you Mm -hmm. would say, Kirk? Where they have them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think most of our high schools have them for college planning, right? But Mm -hmm. not all of our elementary schools have sort of a counselor in a social emotional Mm -hmm. role
4: yeah I think one of the things that we see when we we talk to to parents and community is that there's an assumption that that role is that all they're doing is working with with kids directly on their concerns and I think as you brought up one of the things that we see is that role has changed over time and a lot of the work that we see our counselors doing unfortunately may not be in the the behavioral health realm but it's also around things like post-secondary readiness helping them get ready for college to be able to do applications. Mm -hmm. Also scheduling for our small districts is another role that our counselors, fill in a lot of and so i think they get pulled away from direct services to kids and so i think that's one of the challenges that we know we see with our counselors when they have a counselor so i think as michelle pointed out that some of our districts do not have counselors in them depending on their ability to recruit and get or be able to afford to have them within their building to focus on on those issues that Mm -hmm. need to happen Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, and I think, too, it goes back to that capacity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's serving multiple roles and responsibilities. A lot of them are serving as district assessment coordinators and doing all of the assessment scheduling and planning for their schools and districts. And so they're just pulled in a variety of directions, and then it's difficult to find that balance to actually work with kids. So yes, they're embedded, but they're embedded in a lot of different right, ways, serving right, in a, a right. lot of different roles.
2: Yeah, and I think this is so, such an important conversation because when you look at the some of those data points we were talking about earlier, where 30% of kids are reporting feeling sad or hopeless in the past two weeks. And I think it's, I can look at my numbers here, but I think it's 17% of kids um, saying that they've had suicidal ideation. It just brings home the point of how important it is to have those mental health services in place. Um, So I'll just finish with um, the third type of person in a school building is a social worker. And you know, my understanding from some of the partnerships we have in Southeast Colorado, that model is n- not even in place. Mm-hmm. I don't know from your own experience if you're seeing it in other parts of the state. Yeah, I, I think
4: what I see with, with with our membership is that a lot of folks do not access social workers mm-hmm. um, as it, I think, the reasons for that may be multiple. One's always financial. Uh, the other is is that there seems to be a stigma around that title. Mm-hmm. And so right. well, that's one of the things that I think we see is, is the that skill set that a social worker brings to a school district is, is hugely vital, but it's not necessarily seen or heard in the respect. I think it, it's been dramatized by you know, media and those things Mm -hmm. has a different role than we actually know that it could provide for kids. I think
3: that's part of the challenge, particularly in our rural communities and at the State House, quite quite honestly, is changing this conversation from one about psychological health or mental health, and I think we call it behavioral health, to sort of soften it and broaden the definition about these are not for uh, individuals who are broken or crazy, or this is for the whole system, and by system I mean community, to be able to understand and meet the needs of the kids and the Mm -hmm. families as they Present. Yeah. present. Um, maybe that's a good time and space to move over to the risk factors that Danielle was mentioning before.
2: I was just going to mention uh, the fourth possible group and then we could do that. I don't know what you think about this, but in light of the tremendous workforce shortage um, in rural, it does make me wonder about the role of a classroom teacher. And I know mm-hmm. that classroom teachers feel they're already providing emotional support to their students. And I think I think that's one of the f- factors of their burden and their compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I do wonder, is that sort of, you know, part of a realistic solution to address the fact that we are facing a, a massive shortage? I don't know what you all think about that.
3: I think that, you know, I know that we have legislation that, com- that's ca- that just passed that's going to create mental health standards, which seems to bring it more directly into the classroom. Um, I think that one of the huge piece always goes back to teachers not having the resources that they need to understand what their kids need, and I think then that then adds to their fatigue, right, mm-hmm. because it's so stressful to know that there's a kiddo who needs something and to then reach out and not have any, for through no nobody's fault other than circumstances, not really a place to plug them into for support. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and I think, too, in the past few years, we have made tremendous progress towards providing our general ed teachers those kind of supports that type of training i was just thinking when we were talking about um, the social worker aspect how much more connected we are into other resources that exist in our communities and before we even started taping and talking about um, the village approach to this and why it takes everyone working together um, that's really the only way we're going to be able to make some headway on this Mm -hmm. but from my perspective and working with many schools and districts just over the past few years, the, the strides we've made in addressing a lot of these issues has just been um, really phenomenal. I think there are more partnerships, there are more um, organizations like yours that exist to help support everyone. And so I definitely think in light of the challenges that we've had, we've had some creative ways of addressing those and really started to tackle those. And we're seeing a lot more supports come about um, and really getting those the educators the support that they need in order to help support the kids in their classrooms.
2: Yeah, I really agree. There's this convergence mm-hmm. of um, a momentum that's being built among, you know, state legislators, foundations, you know, hope, you know organizations like... Um, the Colorado Rural Education Collaborative. Um,
3: and I would say potentially some of our listeners, right? Alex always reminds us to <laughs> tap into how can the business community help. If this is a passion space for any of you, uh, we absolutely 100% can help tap you into th- these these programs for the most part cost money and take time, and we need subs in place. And there are places and spaces, so partnerships with outside organizations, private and or public, nonprofit or for-profit are uh, always welcome. Yeah,
2: and it's Absolutely. a beautiful investment because yeah. when, when if every student in Colorado graduates with um, social emotional skills and the ability to reflect and the ability to soothe um, and has that strong resiliency, then that just makes for a stronger workforce. Okay, so you wanted to talk about the risk and protective
1: factors. Um, Well, I think that's one of the things that always comes up when we're talking about rural issues. What are the unique challenges that rural school districts face? Um, And I think Um, that's just one of the the additional layers that makes Mm -hmm. it a little bit more complicated to reach our rural communities so I think if we talked a little bit about what are those additional risk factors not only for kids but for adults and for as a barrier for people wanting to come in and work in that environment and thinking about some of the solutions that we have and the work that we've done to try to address some of those things
2: I'm going to need some help on this, um, the, way c- the way that you framed it, um, it would be good to hear from others on this one. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do is get uh, graduate students excited about living and working in rural Colorado as mental health professionals, and one of the challenges that we heard them articulate, or at least a couple of them articulate, is um, economic opportunity for their romantic partners. Um, lack of jobs, um, lack of housing. The housing I think is affordable, but there isn't much of it. Mm-hmm. Um so I, think I think it
3: depends th- on where you are.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually really thinking about Southeast Colorado right, Colorado right, right. now. If you so go west, right, so if true. we're in Roaring yeah. Fork or Summit yeah, or Yeah. Um and that th- so that's one way to kinda address what you're talking about just in terms of challenges um to meeting the mental health needs, is you know, c- creating incentives to attract people to to move there and work there. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly where you wanted to go with Well, I think
3: looking at the risk factors, Elaine does a lot of presentations around this. If anybody is interested, reach out to her. Her information will be on the website. Um, But some of the stuff that you shared of us Mm -hmm. around changing economy, loss of jobs, I mean, that's a huge dynamic for our rural communities, and part of our hope with this show is to (laughs) figure out ways and promote ways where folks are um, scaling great work and rejuvenating right vibrant rural communities is our
4: vision as well yeah Yeah. because i know when we look at our our economics across the state one of the things that we find is that we actually have the lack of economic development in the rural affects our student population. And so we see that their their association with free and reduced lunch per populace is actually higher in our rural Mm -hmm. than it is in our metro areas. And so I think a lot of people have that flipped in their heads. Um, And so we know that that's one of the risk factors around behavioral health is living in poverty. And what does that look like? I also think things like lack of access to mental health services, lack of medical services. Mm-hmm. Right. Those kind of things are all factors that we know lead to some of the statistics you brought up right. earlier around why we have such a concern around behavioral health for rural Colorado kids. Right. To do that, I, I know we have some other ones that we, we were looking at uh, that have huge impacts to with it, but um, you know, we also know social media in this in this day and age has an impact for rural kids that they they you know it's amazing how we all have phones and that what that access looks like even for rural there's broadband um, for most of our state and they get access to that social media which can have a negative impact
2: we we had a really cool opportunity in March to um, visit with some rural high school students in Southeast Colorado and they were telling us what they thought the main benefits and challenges were for living in in their community and one of the one of the challenges that they talked about was the lack of activity choices. So they have activities mm-hmm. through their school and they do a lot of sports and they do 4-H. Um, but they were telling us that that wasn't enough, like especially on the weekends. And I and I know that got identified in a study that was done in um, the central corridor of the state, like from Chaffee County up north. There was a really important a study that just got done on why the suicide rates are so high in that in that part of the state and they interviewed kids and those kids mentioned what Kirk just said Um, what did you just say
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think we were talking about social media social media right
2: sorry about that yeah and um, and then they also mentioned the lack of extracurricular activities and options Um, Well,
1: and I think we would see a trend probably nationwide. There was some data that was shared at the um, Prescription Drug Safety Network Summit that was held in Washington, D.C. earlier in the month. And they were talking about the drastic decline in kids, even informally socializing as high school Mm. kids. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I'm wondering if there's a real correlation between the lack of of resources and activities, or is it the decision to not formally socialize with, with their peers? And so I think that would be an interesting...
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, so a lot of my stories are about very, very small school districts where sometimes the graduating class is seven students. Hmm. So I asked them, you know, what do you do about your senior prom? And they talked about how... um, they would never go to prom with somebody in their own class or date somebody in their own class because it's too much drama if it doesn't work out. So then there's a network where they kind of, they find out about each other. I think uh, oftentimes through sports, Mm -hmm. um, they find out about each other and so they'll either merge districts for social occasions or kids know how to, you know, connect up that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I just wonder what, the con- what some of those contributing factors are then to even some of the risk factors we talked about with social media. So um, regionally, it would be interesting to see what those types of kids are engaged in mm-hmm. and what opportunities they have um, outside of their classroom, outside of sports, to really look at what other opportunities we can provide for them.
2: Well, one thing I wanna say just to kind of balance out um, the, the sort of negatives that we're talking about is that what I found is that the adults in Southeast Colorado, at least, are so committed to creating w- social and meaningful experiences for the kids. It's almost as if they'll stop at nothing. They're so giving and devoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, and then, and that makes me think about Michelle's point about like, I- you know, attracting businesses to think about, you know, the role that they right. can play in that right, as right, well. Right, right, right. We're going to the same um, place. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to, like, balance some of that negative with, with a beautiful asset that I just kept hearing over and over again, Absolutely. which is the commitment of, of adults to, to, yeah, make it a good experience for their
4: kids. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that we do see is that there's a, there is a huge positives in, in living in rural and the support. I think what, what we all talk about is, is that, unfortunately, what we're seeing is the statistics continue to show us that this is a major risk and a major issue for our state and our communities in understanding what we can do to help support our kids. And I think it, it really is an economic driver is how mm-hmm. do we make sure that we have vibrant young youth who are ready to be enter the workforce when their time that happens and so I think as we look at it that's a big piece that we're all trying to tackle is how do we make sure that that youth is safe Mm -hmm. that they feel like they belong that they're part of a community and that they're supported to do that And, and ensuring that I think is really critical for for our state in the future of both rural and metro parts of Colorado.
3: And we know through some of uh, the grant work that Don LK with a handful of our rural Mm -hmm. districts around the state that and that that grant structure was bringing different community partners together. It Wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was enough to to create the infrastructure through which they could do that, engage their kids, engage their families and say, what do you need, right? And I think the solutions, and maybe that's one of our next shows, right? Is to talk about what some of that work looks like. Um, But the solutions, a critical piece of this are gonna look different in every community. Right. Well, and I,
1: I think there's a couple takeaways from this first part of our discussion. So, in our first episode, we talked about the really deep commitment and love that rural people have for their own communities. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's definitely one huge opportunity there, and then just understanding how all of these other pieces connect. So, it makes me think of of a quote from one of our superintendents that serves on our commissioner's rural education council so don Wrangell from wild mm-hmm. county and we were talking about just the sometimes our negativity um and getting bogged down by all of these uh, um, challenges mm-hmm. that we're facing and he said you look down the road and you see um obstacles are opportunities and it's our um it's our charge to see the opportunities versus the obstacles so i think there's a lot there and in our next segment we'll get into that
0: Wow. What a fascinating conversation, you guys. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break here on Connect and Collaborate. Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube page while you're here. And uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. And welcome back to Connect and Collaborate. Once again, I'm Alex Hopkins, your on-air producer, and we are on episode two of Redefining Rural, again, sponsored by CSU Global. You can find every episode at cobrt.com slash radio dash podcast. Let's jump into segment two of this conversation.
1: Okay, so let's go back to our workforce shortage and let's talk about some of the strategies that are in place to help some of our schools and districts um, fill those spaces and help them with building
2: their own capacity. Okay, so, um, as I'm sure you know, the Colorado Department of Higher Education has really named the teacher workforce shortage as a big issue, and so they have a funding opportunity called Plan into Action, and Kirk and I are actually partnering on a project in, um, part of it is in southeast Colorado, part of it's statewide, and what we're trying to do is create a robust school mental health workforce and um, the way we we have three strategies that we're implementing to try to um, both recruit and retain uh, school mental health professionals and by that i mean again the school psychologists and school counselors primarily so the first strategy is an immersion where what we did is we recruited graduate students who are getting degrees in school psychology and school counseling um, And we recruited them to spend a week with us in southeastern Colorado visiting rural school districts. And the goal really was to get them excited about a life in rural Colorado. So we structured the week in a way where they got to speak with students and learn about um, all the pros of living in rural and and some of the cons. Um, They got to meet with existing school psychologists that are employed by the board of Cooperative Extension Services, BOCES. Um, and they got to also just experience some of the natural world. So they got to you know, go to these beautiful canyons and, and, and state parks and things like that, just to kind of start to imagine what life could look like. They even met with a realtor to learn about you know, how much does it cost to buy a house and what's out there in the market and things like that. Um, We had seven students join us for the week, and they were from Texas, Nebraska, and Colorado. It was a full week? It was a Sunday through a Friday. Wow. Yeah.
3: That's a huge commitment.
2: We rented a big white van and uh, drove, I forget if it was like 900 (laughs) miles during that time, (laughs) because it's a huge area. Um, and they had a fantastic time and you know of course as you would expect we gave them surveys at the end to answer so that we would learn if our program was working and six of the seven students said that they were much more likely to consider a career in rural so we're going to try to kind of continue working with them to get them a placement um, in southeast colorado and with the hope that you know maybe they'll really plant some roots there
1: did all of them come from an urban setting
2: um... No, a couple of them, I mean, some of them definitely came from urban and, and, um, but, but a couple of them came from rural Texas, for example. And so, um, I think, I think it was an easier sell for the rural, sure. uh, graduate students. Um, but even the ones that weren't completely from a rural setting, I think got extremely excited. I was saying before we were taping that, you know, it's really exciting to be in your twenties and to be able to imagine that you could purchase a home. If, if there was a home available, I mean I think that's there's a, there's a problem there with availability um, but in southeast Colorado you you as a young person you know have a really good chance of being able to afford buying a home. Okay, so that's the first strategy. Well, and I would
3: say the immersion experiences are happening all over the mm-hmm. state through mm-hmm. different partnerships, mm-hmm. and it's really an incredible right. opportunity. I think those of our listeners that are urban and suburban have no idea. First time I drove to Lamar or to Holyoke kind of, as a city girl, I was like, oh my goodness, and I'm sure. First time I drove to Lafayette from Boulder, I felt <laughs> the same way, right, 10 or 20 years ago. So um, giving those kids an opportunity to uh, really engage in the ones that get sparked, That's fantastic Mm -hmm. because I think what we've heard from the folks in the field is they're a little
1: worried about a fit. These are
3: sensitive positions Mm -hmm. and what kind of people are going to come out and be accepted by our community if they're not one of us? Mm -hmm. Well, and
1: I think, too, the whole question about what rural really is, I think there is there are a lot of different definitions and a lot of different. Um, ways that people think about what rural is. So uh, a while back, we were meeting with a group of of students that were in ed prep programs, and they were asking me, "Is this a rural district? Is this one a rural district?" Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting to know that as rural students themselves, they really didn't understand what rural would look like outside of their own. Um, their, their region or their zone. So I think one of the ways um, the immersion experiences have helped people understand is actually going out to the communities to see what that looks like. And um, Kirk touched on it in our last episode, just about the different types of rural communities that we have and how our, all of them are very unique. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the, um, the takeaways that people have when they finally go out to visit some mm-hmm. of our areas. Yeah,
4: I think what, one of the things that I'd say it was kudos to our applicants who came and joined us. What was really exciting is, is some of them actually took their spring breaks to mm. spend a week and learn about what it was like. And I think that's one of the things that we learned is that you really need to. It's more than a drive by. Like you can't just come by a school district and go, oh, this is what rural looks like. You've got to get get into that and be around and meet the people and do that. So we really applaud them in that. We also, their universities were great. Those who came from out of state Mm -hmm. actually did not have spring break at the time we had scheduled it. We we intentionally did it during Colorado spring breaks. Mm -hmm. And so these folks who were coming from Texas and Nebraska, their professors actually allowed them to take the whole week off To to see what this experience was like and and to experience it. So, um, we were really excited that that the the students were willing to invest in really learning what it was like. And I think our numbers really showed that not only were they interested, but the experience really uh, enlightened a passion that they want to come back and and do that. And so, I think it's something, as Michelle said, that we've got other institutions in our state who are using the same sort of model. And as we try to increase the opportunity, this is the first one that really focused on the mental health right. side. Um, so it was exciting because we know the shortage mm-hmm. uh, that we're seeing is so huge that we had to do something mm-hmm. to try to, to get the numbers of applicants up. So we feel like this was a good piece, but um, you want to talk about the other parts? Okay, the so,
2: so the, there's another strategy that we have, and this one is more around retention. Cause we know that, um, and by retention, it, obviously i mean keeping people in their current positions right and we know that one of the strategies to do that is to provide a lot of support and you know sometimes i think what happens is is when you get um, a job in a rural community and you're tucked away pretty far away from denver you know oftentimes it's kind of hard to tap into professional development opportunities so we have um the, the Morgridge College of Education just became an ECHO site, and I don't know if that's something you're familiar with, but Project ECHO is an uh, evidence-based strategy to provide professional development. To, um, it started in the medical field, and it was shown through you know, really high-quality studies to, to increase workforce capacity. So um, what we're trying to do with ECHO DU is see if we can take that same model of professional development, which I can explain in just a moment, and see if we can bring it to the education arena and see if we can get that same set of outcomes of increased workforce capacity. So what we're doing is um, we, so uh, let me just say, ECHO um, looks like this. It's a virtual professional learning community. And so people use Zoom, which probably you're familiar with. It's a video conferencing um, platform. And um, they come together from all parts of the state to learn about a topic together, and maybe even more importantly, to um, bring their most challenging cases to the group for problem solving. That is such a big piece. Mm -hmm. I I can't, to have a cadre of
3: practice for those folks to be Mm -hmm. able to rely on is...
1: Well, and I think awesome. that addresses one of the challenge that challenges that we face in our rural districts as far as capacity. There is mm-hmm. not always training available for that small group of people. Um, and even our BOCES, I think, are challenged with that. They, they have such a small population, and providing them with the relevant PD that they need is sometimes a struggle. So I think this is a great way to get people connected that are job-alike peers.
2: We're, we're hearing a lot of excitement for um, ECHO. S- um, the Echo has a has a catchphrase: um, "Moving knowledge, not people." And um, when we try to recruit for this particular Echo, where what we want to do is um, bring school psychologists and school counselors from across rural Colorado together um, to learn about the latest best practices around, um, you know, combating depression, suicide, harm, violence, bullying, um, school disengagement. Um, so, with very little effort to recruit, and you know, Michelle and Kirk were helpful to recruiting, we had a hundred people sign up. We were hoping for twenty, <laughs> and then <laughs> realized, oh my gosh, we've got a hundred people. So you know you hit a need, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So, um, th- so we're gonna. What we decided to do, given the demand, is um, we're gonna launch it this fall and just have like three concurrent sessions, so that hopefully everyone can participate. Um, And then also, like, when we mentioned this to our 27 rural district partners in southeast in the San Luis Valley, that we might be able to use ECHO to provide professional development on some other health-related issues, Mm -hmm. you could just tell Mm -hmm. they just felt like this is going to be so helpful to them because they don't have to move. Um, We just move the knowledge to them and then create that situation where they can bring their challenges to each other.
3: In fact, I heard from a superintendent recently that just the fact of the flyer that we sent out announcing ECHO got the... Uh, mental health providers in the school districts in his area they have their own little group going now and talking to oh Elaine nice. earlier she had said our hope is they create these uh, you know without the facilitation they have a place and a space where they mm-hmm. can all hook up and exactly. you know, discuss that's their right. practice situation. Yeah, yeah I was yes, just going to say
1: I think that's a great opportunity for them to connect and I think they'll realize that they're a lot more the same than they are different mm-hmm. and so hopefully it's a way for them to um, discuss what solutions they might have and help solve some of those
2: challenges. Yeah, and not
3: feel so alone. You mm-hmm. know? Which is scary in that world when mm-hmm. you're talking to kids who are in this incredible can be in this incredible what appears to be a crisis space and you
2: have no idea how to handle that to be able to tap in is huge so the the third and final strategy for this plan into action grant that Kirk and I are working on um, we call it the workforce strategy and so what we're doing is we're partnering well, let me back up the Colorado Department of Higher Ed is really looking for um, uh, universities to form long-standing partnerships with boards of cooperative extension am I saying that acronym BOCES. correctly BOCES? yeah um, so that together we can try to address teacher shortages and, in and our just case, for our listeners we mm-hmm. talked
3: about it last week BOCES are groups of small rural districts and rural districts that come together for the purpose primarily of s- providing special education services required to students with disabilities but also to address more of the uh, the broader needs of the general student populations
2: yeah and it's sort of an economies of scale model because when you have all these little rural districts, sometimes you have to share you know, resources, like a school psychologist. Correct. So um, what we're doing with that one is trying to come up with a five-year strategic plan to figure out how we can meet um, a rural community's hiring needs around school psych and school counseling. And um, so that's sort of r- in the very early stages um, of what and we're And correct
3: doing. me if I'm wrong, there's an opportunity for folks who want to get involved to help support that work correct?
2: We would love that. Um, We would love to have all kinds of community stakeholders and um, businesses, I'm talking, right, the listening community. I was involved in some of the ground floor planning of the work. Mm -hmm.
3: It's incredibly exciting, but it's going to be a lift. And um, the idea of getting more local kids excited about these kinds of jobs so they can fill them within their own communities through engaging students and graduates of the University of Denver and other higher ed programs is to me a dream come true so yeah that would be yeah
2: excellent so
1: I think talking about how embedded these issues are in the communities brings us to our next topic of conversation about how this fits into the overall umbrella of school preparedness um, and i can just touch on some of the work that the department has done with the commissioner's rural education council can you so talk
3: about what school preparedness
1: yes yeah, sure so and i think there are different definitions for everybody and i think we're moving towards more commonly defined um some of the more common definitions so that we can all be on the same page and i think we've identified that as a challenge, is that we all think of something different when we bring up some of these terms. But um, we did discuss a little bit about the Commissioner's Rural Education Council in our last episode. So this is a council that is um, put together to advise the Commissioner on rural challenges and opportunities. And so in the past year, one of the priorities that the council has um, determined is mental health, but uh, the overall school preparedness um, challenge. So Um, looking at the overall umbrella of school preparedness we're talking about health and wellness emergency crisis planning and also safety and security and personnel and how all of these different pieces overlap and we can leverage some of the work that's being done so back in October we met up in um, the West Grand School District we brought together about nine different agencies including Elaine to talk about what is happening throughout the state um, regarding all of these different issues. And so we were really able to identify the resources that exist, but also a lot of the work that's being done. And I think some of the takeaways from those superintendents and others on the council was that there there is a lot of work being done in a lot of these areas. And one of the main challenges with that they see is just getting the word out to the schools and districts about how they can tap into some of those resources. And I think it's a little complicated just because um, safety and security does not um, live within the Colorado Department of Education. So mm-hmm. the Colorado School Safety Resource Center is the one charged with providing a lot of the communication and the resources. And so we try to work as closely as possible as we can with them. And in fact, um, Chris Harms and I head up a committee that um, engages a lot of different agencies to talk about these kinds of issues. But and really Chris Harms
3: is the executive director yes. of the Resource Center.
1: And so we just really were able to lay out a lot of those resources around um, mental health, bullying prevention, resources for at-risk students, counselors, school climate, safety, and how these can all fit together, as well as what that security personnel can help us with. And so um, it's an ongoing conversation. We're having another meeting up in July in Breckenridge to um, dig a little bit deeper into the mental health aspect of this. But I think it's just important for us to, to keep reiterating the fact that all of these different pieces are connected and if we're going to address safety and security and and hardening our targets and all of those things we also have to address it on the other side and put in all of these preventative measures in place as well so i think there's a ton of work being done um, and thank you to all of you guys for being a part of that but um, we're going to continue to collaborate and um, keep strategizing about how we can actually bring a lot of these resources out to our rural districts
3: I think a lot of what we hear from our folks, and I think that that was a rural council conversation, right, was we need to know what we need to know and what, how, what are the steps in emergency preparedness? How do, what does that process look like? And I know that's something that Danielle and Chris have been working on uh, getting, our, getting more information out to our folks on. Kirk, did you want to talk a bit about some of the work that the collaborative is doing?
4: Sure. You know, I I think we brought it up earlier in the the segment is, is this, when we look at schools, who are the folks who really can interface with kids? And one of the biggest ones every day is really our teachers. And so as we look at behavioral health challenges, one of the things that we're trying to continue to do is leverage how do we use those folks who are working with kids on a daily basis. And so currently through um, some support of some private foundations, we're doing some work with 15 school districts around social emotional learning and how to support the, the, the mental health of, of kids. And the way that, that this actually pilot with these 15 districts looks is we do what we call distributive guidance. And so what, what we're in the process of, of training teachers to actually help students better understand their own emotional health, how to deal with struggles that are going on in their lives, and then how to access than when they're struggling with it and so part of that is really to create an environment within their classroom and we call it advocacy because we believe that the teacher is really becomes an advocate the kid becomes an advocate for themselves through this process and so one of the goals is to really look at how do we provide an environment within our schools that they can talk about uh situations, events that happen in their own lives in a safe space. And so they do that through shared conversations. They also do it around direct instruction around those areas to help support the kids. And then the, the teachers who are in those classrooms help supporting it. You know, when we look at our systems, even when they have a counselor, it's very difficult for a counselor to get out to all the children within the building. Mm-hmm. But by helping train teachers to be that first line, it allows them kids to have a safe place and then the teachers can become advocates if they can identify and then someone who is at a greater risk for issues that are going on and so we've had some really outstanding results in our first year of of scaling this we started with five original districts um, have now moved that to 15 and so the results we got back from the kids were really exciting things like 85% 85% of them, came, students came back and said, I now have a safe place to talk about my concerns. I feel like I learned, I think it's 80% of the students who participate said, I learned skills that are gonna help me in work and work in life. And so we're really excited about the results that we've seen. We have some more studies that we're doing um, in some research-based components with that, that we'll know later in the, next school year when we get the analysis done. But I think it's really this opportunity to say how do we help in small schools um, really distribute that support for kids to everyone who touches kids going on and that all students have a, a safe place. Because I think when we talked about the risk factors, uh, one of the things that we see is that families are an incredible support structure, grandparents, aunts and uncles. But when kids don't have that, the question is, who do they go to? And so I think one of the things that that our advocacy program that we're, we're working on with these districts does is it provides the adult within the classroom as a place to go to and and be able to talk and do that. And it provides the teachers with skills and curriculum or being able to do that. Because as we know, most educators, when they take their methods classes, this isn't an area that our higher ed institutions spend a great deal of time helping support new teachers coming into the field. And so it's an area that we've looked to try to, to boost boast and help support. It is a great going back to where people could dive in and support, unfortunately, the, fi- the foundations that have supported us getting this off the ground continue to support us, but we are continuing to look for more funds mm-hmm. to be able to scale this to other districts. And so definitely- Is it a K-12 end-
3: 12 curriculum? Sorry. A, it 12?
4: is. We, we partner with a, another curriculum called Random Acts of Kindness, which does really? the elementary function. And then we have another, the, the other one that we work with is then six through 12. So we have two separate curriculums. The model is the same regardless if you're kindergarten classroom in 12th grade, which is really fun to go in and see when you see um, kids engaging in common dialogue, regardless of what grades, about things that they're struggling with. You know, a big part of the curriculum on both the elementary and the high school is about creating a safe space to have those dialogues. And what does confidentiality look like so that kids feel that there's a place that they can go to share, an adult that they can share. And as we said, one of the things that we do is then provide support for teachers to then work within their own systems if red flag events come up during those sharing cycles and those kind of things to get them to more intensive people who can then really support at that level. We don't expect a teacher by any means to be to cycle, analyze a child. We just need them to recognize that this is outside the normal norm or curve for students and then help them get help. If it's within our schools, within our community, um, that's part of what this social emotional learning and the advocacy program that we're working with does. So it's, it's really exciting that a way to help intervene for kids in rural areas. When we're looking at a workplace shortage and not having the resources or the people uh, to do that is tapping into those who touch kids every day. And those are our classroom teachers. And it's providing their, them those skills to be able to do that. So it's it's a very exciting project that we're working on. Like I said, we were seeing great results. And it's definitely an area if listeners are interested in wanting to engage and engage in this issue, we're always looking for foundations, private um, and business to see how we can move this into more schools across our state that see the need.
2: I am so excited to hear about it at at two levels. One is just knowing that there's one more place a, a child who's suffering can go to is so important. I was at a conference last week um, and there was this excellent presentation led by young people, and um, they were they were a group of LGBTQ people. They were trying to help us understand what happens when you come out, and what they taught us is that when you take the risk of coming out, um, you might have you might lose several um support systems your family your church you know not necessarily but you might um, and so knowing that a classroom becomes an added place where you can go to is wonderful and just very quickly i'd love to know if the teachers are feeling like their own social emotional health is improving
4: <laughs> yes and, and i think what we, we continue to see is is how does that, that how does that spread out amongst amongst the staff that are working at it, I think anytime we can provide them skills that help them deal with with what they're dealing with, day-to-day day and their mm-hmm. students, they feel better about what's going on. Yeah, it's and excellent. so I know it's part of, of our research that we're looking into. Yeah. It's some of those questions.
3: This has been super exciting. We are so glad to have you here. This is not our last conversation about mental health in any way, shape, or form. I know we were hoping Danielle would have some time to share some of the department's resources and some of the grants and some of the great legislation that we did see uh, from the State House bringing more money to this issue. But stay tuned. We'll, we'll talk more about that.
0: Thank you all so much again for joining me on Connect and Collaborate. It has been a real pleasure, and all of the things that we discussed here today can be found in the link in the description below, so be sure to click on that. And again, find Redefining Rural sponsored by CSU Global at com slash radio dash podcast. Have a wonderful day, you guys.